Well, good morning to you. I'm wishing I would have saved that 32 cents a day for 165 days. I would have been on that retreat. But the Lord had something else in store for us this morning, so here I am. The last time I did this, it was close to 50 years ago. I was about four or five. I had to stand on a chair, with some, and that wasn't high enough. I had to put some phone books, and I'm just as nervous as I was then as I am now. No, I'm, I'm not really that nervous. I'm, I trust in the Lord, and he'll give me the strength of that. The words that he has for us this morning will definitely come from him. So this morning, before we start, let's just, let's just pray. Father God, we just thank you for this time that you brought us here together this morning, God. Father we God, we pray especially for our men who are up on the mountain, Father, right now as they're going through the same time of, of worship and, and of message, Father, that the message that you have for them this morning will be strong and be relevant, Father, to them and where they're at at this very moment, Father. And Father, I just pray that likewise here that wherever we're at in our life this morning, Father, that the topic that we speak about on emotions will be exactly where we need to be, the very room that you want us to be sitting in, the very seat that you want us to be sitting at, and the person that we need to be sitting next to, Father. So, Father, I just ask that, that you would be with me and be with your word this morning as, it, as we move forward. In your name we pray, amen. So, why did I choose the topic of emotions? I thought that all the Today would be a good day to probably be really light in church, that there would be 100 seats open because, you know, if my, if my husband were out, well, not my husband, but the women, women of the church, the husband of God, this would be a good day to play hooky from church, but apparently you guys didn't get that memo. So, so why, why emotions? You know, I, I believe that emotions are a critical part of our spiritual life. You know, all, all of us, experience emotions on a daily basis. You know, I, I know, for me, I find myself to be a very, very emotional person. Sometimes I, I wondered whether or not that was, I've always thought, until one couple, about a year ago, I really did an in-depth study. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Strength Finders program that kind of helps find your strengths and stuff. And I really found that I am emotional, and that's really a strength. But I always thought that it was not a strength in my life. I always thought, hey, I'm a guy. I can't like chick flicks. I can't like different things. I've got to be manly. I've got to be this macho kind of guy because that's how I was raised. I was raised not necessarily in the streets, but I was raised by, man, we've got to be tough. You, know, you, can't, you can't like that. You've got to be tough. And so my whole bringing, I, I, I never realized how much that emotional part of me was a strength. And how, how valuable it was. You know, I look back now, and I, now I wonder, I know why all the girls in high school were attracted to me, because I was just as emotional as they were. So they, we, we got along. So, you know, I, 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 now, you know, I, I look back and say, man, I should have used that strength a lot more back in high school. But no, I, God didn't reveal that to me till much later. But, you know, awareness of life starts with an emotion. You know, the minute we're born, what's the first thing we do or supposed to do? You can answer because, what? Yeah, okay. Come on, junior highs. You guys know that this is interactive. Come on. Cry, right? The first thing we do when we're born 
is Christ. So emotion is immediately introduced into our life the minute we're born. You know, if we don't cry, usually that's a sign that there's something wrong. All the nurses come in and all these things get taken care of. And, you know, all of us as moms and dads, that, that emotion, that, that first thing, you know, you, you want to hear the baby cry. They tell you, oh, once the baby cries, everything's going to be great and fine. And then you're like, two, two weeks later, you're like, can, can they stop crying? Can't they just stop crying? So life begins with emotion, w- with, with crying. And then you know what? Sometimes the re- other reason that I kind of chose to choose the topic of emotion is come so- sometimes the church places a stigma on emotion. You know, sometimes the, the church, we, we, I, uh, at least for me, my personal experience growing up, you know, in a very, 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 very conservative home. I mean, I didn't go to a movies until I was out of the house. Actually, I think my dad took me to one, but he was forced to. I don't remember how. But movies, all, all, all things, for, for me, the church was you sit down, you be quiet, you, you, you listen to the preacher, you go to Sunday school, you, you do all these things, and you go home. There was no emotion for me growing up in church. And so for me, emotion in church was like a negative thing. I, I wasn't really brought up that way. And so for me, as an adult, is when I really learned how to express my emotion through worship. You know, we, we just sang some songs, and some of those songs, would you agree, were very emotional, were very touching, very heartfelt songs. If we sang them from the heart, they were extremely heartfelt. And, you know, I, and, and, you know, I was raised that if you raised your hand, you were charismatic. If, are you ra- if you said hallelujah, well, then he, he, you're in the wrong church. But you know what? I, 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 through, my, through my time here and through actually some people through this church, I can get emotional because the junior high knows I will get emotional. It, and I've said this before. There's just been some people specifically in the church that don't even know. Junior high knows know who they are because I told them. But some people in this church actually influenced me in my emotional walk with Christ on how to express my emotion. Because I really, the first several years we were here, I would be like this. Sing, 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 sit down, sing. And it wasn't until a few years, years back that, that just observing this one individual just really allowed me to share my emotion uninhibited, just allowing God to work through me. And so I appreciate this congregation and the things that they've taught me. And so if you want to know who that person is, don't want to embarrass them, you can ask me later. Junior hires know I might have mentioned it at camp before. So if you don't remember, that's okay. But I have mem- mentioned it before. So as we move forward, the management of emotions is critical to the spiritual life. Now, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to mold the human ability to have emotions to display Christ's character. Now, the Holy Spirit was sent to help us in our emotions. All of us have emotions. You know, there are several emotions that we can go through. We won't go through all of them. We'll go through maybe two or three this morning. But the Holy Spirit was there to help us um, to mold and to have the, the emotion that Christ had. So let's turn to John sixteen seven. Oh, good, this little thing works. That's cool. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he says in John 16, 7, says, but I, tell you, I, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, 
the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. In some, some translations, it says advocate. Um, in the particular one I'm looking at, it says counselor. But it says that before, before the Holy Spirit can come, he had to go away. He had to go away. Before the Holy Spirit can intervene, Christ had to go away. And so he's telling them that, that he's, set, he's letting them know that the Holy Spirit will be there for them. Uh, John 16, 12 and 13. Just turn back, turn back with me a page or two. 16, 12 and 13. Went the wrong way. Just down. Where was I going? I was going to a whole other chapter. And he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And so the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. We see that he's there to guide us. And then in John 14, that's where we got to go back. John 14, verses in 15 and 16, he says, He's talking to the believer. He's promising the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or another advocate to be with you forever. So the management of, of our emotions is critical, and how do we manage those emotions? We're through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He, he helps us as we, as we um, experience emotion. You know, all of us experience, experience emotions. Some emotions can harm us. Some emotions are there to benefit us. Today we'll look at a few that will help benefit us, but there are emotions. But those emotions that are there that, are, are, that can harm us, that cannot reflect the character of Christ, the Holy Spirit is there to help us and help guide us through those times. So um, it we are made, the Bible tells us we are made in the image of God. In John 1, 1, going back, going back a couple pages, John 1, 1, the Bible tells us, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he has always been from the beginning. It says he, he was, the, was the Word and is the Word. From the very beginning. So let's go to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. All the way back to the very first page of the Bible. Genesis chapter, Genesis 1. Verse 26. Genesis 1. 26. And he says. Then God said. Let us make man in our own image. I'm wondering. This is the beginning of time. This is the beginning of creation. I'm wondering, have you ever thought, who, who's he talking to? He says, you know, he's talking, in the, you know, he's, he, God said, let there be this. God, let there be that light. God, let the water, the, the, the fowl of the earth. And then he comes to the part, and he says, and then God said, and who's listening? Who's he talking to? And he says, he says let us make man in our own image. He says, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then verse 27, here's where it comes. So God, sorry, Izzy. So God created man in his own image. In an image of God, he created man. So we're created in God's image. We are made, made 
to, to image God. You know, and then back, back, going back to John chapter 1 and verse 14, later on, we, we, we read from the very beginning, you know, God was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then in 14, it says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So God sent his son Jesus into this world to be part of us to, to, um, for, for uh, a purpose. God, God sent his own son for a specific purpose, and we all know that purpose was to die on the cross, to, to make provision for us for that, that sin. And so, you know, the fact that we are made in the image of God would lead me to believe that if he experienced emotion, we're probably going to experience emotion too. You know, we all know all the emotions that Christ, Christ um, experienced. Like I said, we'll talk about three of them. But there was, you know, one of the famous ones was anger when people were using the temple in the wrong way. He got upset. He went in and he cleansed the temple. There's so many areas in which we see Christ's emotion coming out. And how, does, how did he display that character that, that character. Can we display the character the same way? Obviously, he was fully God, and he was fully human. He was without sin. He was without blame. So how do we try to be without sin and without blame? Because we know we're not. We don't have that ability to walk blamelessly, sinlessly. The Holy Spirit is there to help us. Um, let's look at some of the verses that actually show his humanity, the humanity of Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. We'll probably be looking at several verses as w- this morning. We're, gonna, we're going to, uh, back in my day, it was, uh, when I was doing this, I was trying to time myself to see how fast I could get there. And I realized that uh, I needed to go back to my old Sunday school. And I don't know if you guys remember, there used to, we used to call them sword drills. You have to put your finger in the Bible, and they would say a verse, and you had to get there as fast as you can. Well, I need to go back to Bible Olympics because I wasn't that fast as I was trying to do this. So um, I understand. So Ma- Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, it says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, he was hungry. Said the, the, this shows that... that even though he was fully God, he was still human, he got hungry. Forty days and forty nights. I can't even last ten minutes without wanting to eat something or look at something and nibble on it. I, forty days and forty nights. I can imagine how hungry he must have been. You know? And, and we, we continue to read in that, that chapter is, as when we are hungry and how our, our awareness and heightened and fasting and how all that plays a role you know, Satan comes and, and tries to tries to tempt him. But you know, there's something to be said about about how you are um, after fasting. He had been 40 days and 40 nights relying on on Christ to sustain him. That's that's a long time. Like I said, I don't know if I could go very long without having the effect of hunger. As a matter of fact, I think I'm already hungry. Um, and then in Matthew chapter 21:18, Matthew 21:18, we see. Also, that he, he experiences humanity. 21, verse 18. It says, early in the morning, he was on his way back, back to the city, and he was hungry. You know, I, I, I think about this, and, and now 
I understand why everything that Renaissance does is centered around food. That was for uh, our uh, fearless, uh, uh, well, I forgot her title, but uh, facilities person, because everything we do is great when it comes around food. Would you guys agree everything that she does around food is awesome? And I could see why. I mean, you know, God even himself would get hungry. He showed humanity. Um, John 19.28, we turn to John 19.28. We'll look at another um, application of, his, of humanity. John 19.28. And this one is a little bit more deeper than he was hungry. This one gets a little bit more deeper. He, let's read uh, Matthew chapter 20, 20, uh, 19, verse 28. And he says, um, first let me set up kind of what, where this verse is at. Jesus is on the cross. He's about to to pay that, that final price for you and me. He's, he's actually on the cross. And it says, later, knowing that, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He shows another um, uh, part of his humanity by saying I'm thirsty. But there's more. It's deeper than just him being thirsty, being up there on the cross. There's a lot more to it. So turn... Turn with me to Psalm 69.21, Psalm 69.21, and we could see how that through this he's fulfilling, he's fulfilling prophecy in, in Psalm 69, verse 21. He says, and they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And they gave me vinegar for my thirst. As we turn back, turn back with me back to uh, John 19. And let's, we're going to uh, look at verse 29. He said, Jesus just says, I am thirsty. He says, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of, of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Even through the humanity of Jesus of thirst through that humanity scripture was fulfilled by him dying on the cross he used the, the analogy of, of thirst they gave it they gave him a vinegar just like they it said in psalm just like like it was prophesied um, and it comes full circle and he says it is finished i mean if that's not an emotion that you can uh, something that you can get emotional about i don't know just the imagery when I read this, when I think he's on the cross. I mean, I'm thirsty right now. And he's been up there for hours and hours. And he uses that analogy of thirst. He just wants a quench of thirst. And they give it to him. And that was, was when it was, was declared that it was finished. That, that to me is emotional, crazy emotional, that, that through thirst, it fulfills prophecy through through that portion of humanity, and then in Psalm six, and then in I'm sorry, John four six, in John four six, I don't know about you, but sometimes the days aren't long enough. There's so many things to do, but I I, I never I'm never able to uh, finish them because I get tired. 
You know, and Jesus is, is talking with the Samaritan woman, and in, in 4 6, he says this Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was fr- from the journey, sat down by the well. Again, Jesus got tired, shows his humanity. Yes, he was fully God, sinless and blameless, but yet through his, his humanity, the things that we experience, tired, hungry, thirsty, those are all things that he went through, he experienced. It says that he was tired, that he sat down. How many of you wish that halfway through uh, work you could just stop and sit down no matter what, what it ever was? We get tired. I know I get tired. There's some days that I, I just wish I could have an extra four hours so I could take a nap. You know, I wonder, you know, going back to um, visiting my wife's family in Argentina, I realize why they take naps. I'm like, ah, this is cool. They close everything down. They take a nap. People get tired. They stay up late. I don't like that part. But they take naps. They go to bed at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, but they take this siesta thing. And I thought it was cool because, man, if I could have majored in anything in school, it would have been sleeping. I, I think I, I, I could have uh, conquered that. I want to read you a quote um, from John, from John uh, Stott. And he says this. He says, you know, I've discovered that Jesus of Nazareth, the perfect human being, was no tight-lipped, unemotional person. On the contrary, I read that he turned on hypocrites with anger, looked on a rich young ruler and loved him, could both rejoice in spirit and sweat drops of blood in spiritual agony, was constantly moved with compassion, and even burst into tears twice in public. From all of this in our humanness, from all of this evidence, it's plain that our emotions are not to be suppressed, since they have an essential place in our humanness and therefore in our Christian discipleship. And I was like, wow, that's pretty strong. Yeah, my Jesus is pretty cool, man. He can get upset and still not sin. My God could do this and still not sin. How, how, how can I be like that? How do I do that? How am I able to not, not sin in, in the face of an emotion? Like I said, I'm very emotional. And so I find myself looking at this going, how do I do this without sinning? So if Jesus is our model for spiritual and emotional maturity, what are some of the emotions that he, that he experienced? You know, we read here that he turned over, um, uh, what do you say? He turned over um, things in, in the, it's not, doesn't say here, I'm just paraphrasing now. He says that he, you know, in the temple, I mentioned earlier, he got angered because they were using it the wrong way, and, and, and he threw things. He, dro- he had sweats, uh, sweat drops of blood in spiritual agony. You know, Jesus faced emotion. The first emotion I really want to look at this morning is the emotion of compassion. Jesus was compassionate. You know, this is probably the, the most frequently attributed emotion of Jesus. If you were probably to ask the disciples, can you give me one character of Christ? I, I'm pretty sure that they would come up with the word compassion. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, it's always talking about compassion, compassion, Compassion. So let's take a look, look at his compassion. We're going to look at three verses. Matthew nine thirty six will be the first one. Matthew nine thirty six. You know, in that in that we we had read. Um, 
that he, that he had a tremendous amount of compassion. In Matthew 9, 36, he says, um, when, we, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he likens, um, he likens people to, to sheep. Um, I feel bad about sheep because in that day, they, were, they, they needed a shepherd and they needed stuff. But that's not to say that sheep were ignorant or dumb or anything. I think a lot of times we are used as that same analogy as, as sheep. And I don't want to consider myself ignorant or dumb. But, but yes, are we in the need of a Savior just like sheep were in need of somebody to help them? Of course. And, that's, and he's using that analogy that they could understand when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And we're, as Christians, do we, can we or do we often get harassed? We could get harassed just because we were, you know, being polite at the uh, stoplight and let somebody walk across the crosswalk like you're legally supposed to, wait for them to go from one point to the other. But instead, you get people honking because there's somebody halfway in between, right? You know, can we be harassed because we're doing what, what God wants us to be and, and being uh, obedient? Yeah, we, can get, we do get our ha- harassed. Are we helpless? We're all helpless without Christ. Anybody who thinks they're not, uh, wrong place. We are all helpless. You know, a- again, let's take a look at how he was com- compassionate. In Mark uh, 6, 34. Turn with me to Mark 6.34. Jesus is about to feed a couple people. More like 5,000 people, but it's a lot of people. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Again, he uses the illustration of sheep because that's what they understood. Not to say that there's anything negative or wrong about sheep, but he he had compassion on them because they didn't have anybody. They were lost. There was no shepherd. There was nobody there to help them. And so he had compassion on them. Uh, Mark 8.2. Turning over one page or two. Mark 8.2. Again, it's centered around feeding people. This time it's a little less, a thousand. He only has to feed four thousand people this time. I don't know, Karen, can you handle that? Four thousand, five thousand people, and you only got uh, X amount of dollars to work with. Um, he says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Again, he shows compassion for their human side's hunger. They had nothing at all to eat for three days, three full days, nothing to eat, and so he has compassion on them. So as you see, Christ had a heart. Christ had compassion for those, those people, especially those that were lost, especially those that he likens to sheep. He, he, he tells us that they're lost. They need direction. Um, people were hungry. He recognizes an emotion of hunger um, and has compassion on them. The second emotion I want to look at is love. You know, in the Greek, it has many, many different meanings for love. A few of them um, is storge, storge. I think that's how I say it right. And that's the love between parents and children. 
You know, there's a different love, different levels of love, different styles of love. Sometimes I wonder what that is because I have to read it when it comes to my kids and discipline. What kind of love am I supposed to have between my parent, between a parent and a child? And that gets difficult, doesn't it? If you are parents, sometimes you have to discipline and you have to do it in love. And a lot, a lot of times, I find myself. Patricia is really good at this. She she calms me down and makes sure make sure whatever we're doing, we're doing it in love. We're doing it in love, not in anger. And sometimes for me, I I. I have always been slow, patient, calm. It wasn't until I married into Patricia's family that I see everything moving 100 times a minute that I, I now react like that. And then I say to myself, what did I just get myself into? And so sometimes she has to remind me that I need to slow down and discipline and love, not, not out of emotion of, the, of anger, which, was, which would be sin. And then... How many of you have ever heard of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love? Phileo. Phileo is an, uh, another uh, type of love in the Greek, and that's brotherly love. I've never been to Philadelphia, so I can't tell you if it's true or not. All I, the closest I've been to Philadelphia is Rocky. That's it. That's all I've done. And it seemed pretty cool to me, so it must be, it must be filled with brotherly love. And then the another, another uh, form of, of love is eros, and just in the way it sounds, already sounds wrong. Eros, air. And that's what it is. Eros is loving somebody to get something from them. It's a selfish love. Just because you have love doesn't make, sure, make it pure, make it right. And eros is a form of love from the Greek that is loving somebody to get something from them. And so it's a selfish love. And then there's the love that Christ, Christ had for us on the cross, which, was, which is agape, agape which is an unselfish love, loving the other for their sake. So let's take a look a little bit at some emotion of agape, the agape love. In Mark 10, 17 through 22, page over, Mark 10, 17 through 22. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. I don't know. He's starting off pretty good. If I was there and I was the boss and you wanted to ask me something, you're going to be, be uh, positive and upbeat. And he's like, what do I need to do? What, what is it? What do I need to do? And so, so Jesus, <laughs> in his infinite wisdom, calls him out and says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, defraud, honor your father and mother. And then, and then the uh, young man, the young ruler says, and he says, teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have. And give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to give up his wealth. He felt the contradiction there. But yet, in verse uh, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, Jesus recognized his earnest, his earnestness. You know, his response 
to shame him by his failure to understand wasn't, wasn't what he was doing, but it was a genuine expression of love. This young man came to him earnestly wanting to know what to do, but when he found out, it didn't seem quite the way he thought it would be. You know? But Jesus still genuinely loves him. He has that agape love. Just because he didn't understand doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Um, in John 20, verse 2, there's a verse, John 20, verse 2, that talks about a specific disciple. You know, it's thought to be John. We're not, well, I believe it's, it's probably, it probably is John, but this is, this is how he acknowledges is John. In chapter 20, verse 2, this is the tomb was empty. Um, there's Mary Magdalene. We know the story. She's running. And so she, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. So there's Simon Peter and another, another disciple, and it's pointed out it's the one that Jesus loved. You know, Jesus, uh, well, let's read another verse, and, and let's, let's take a look at, at John 19, verses 25 and 26. And let's see how much he loved this other disciple. It says, near the cross of Jesus, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. You know, I don't know if you have anybody that means that's so special to you or, or you're emo- you have an emotional bond like Jesus had with his mother, that he, in, he asked or he gave the, the privilege to his disciple that he loved to take care of his mom from that point on. He, he loved, he had a specific person that he loved. But you know what, this is, this is not to say that he didn't love all of them, but that he had a special bond with one of them. There was one that he had a specific and a special bond, you know, and it's believed probably to be John, but despite who it is or who it was, there was one that he he loved so dearly that he entrusted his own mom to him once he was gone. You know, there's also accounts that in, in Scripture that he loved other people. Jesus was a friend to everybody, you know, sinners sinners and and those uh, those Christians alike. He he was a friend of everybody. He, he loved everybody. You know, there, there's a, um, we studied this uh, a couple weeks ago. Pastor, Pastor John had um, talked about this, these group of people, and it really struck an emotion for me that I really kind of studied it, and ki- this kind of lesson this morning kind of stemmed from that. And that, that family was the family of Lazarus. In John 11, verse 3, Turn back with me a page or two. John 11, verse 3, we, sh- we see again how much, uh, how much uh, Jesus had a special bond with the family of, of Lazarus. In, chapter, in John chapter 3, verse, all right, I said, let me go back here. John chapter 3, verse 11, is that what I said? John 11, John 11, 3. 
Oh, I'm going to 311. I wonder why it can't, doesn't look right. I think I learned that I'm dyslexic too. John 11, 3. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So we know that, that there's a special bond there that they can freely talk to him and, and say, you know, hey, Jesus, the guy you love, he's sick. What are you going to do about it? You're, he's sick. You know, they, they, they mention him by the one you love is sick. You know, Christ heals people throughout scriptures. You know, he's walking by, they reach out, they, and he's healed. There's a belief there. But this one, there's somebody who's actually coming to him. He's not walking by. People aren't coming to him. They're sending somebody and, and pleading, Lord, the one you love is sick. Going, jumping down to verse 5. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So he, it's reciprocated. It says, the one you love, I'm sure Lazarus and Mary um, they, and the family all loved Jesus. It says that he did. But it shows that the reciprocation, Jesus loved Martha in verse 5 and her sisters and Lazarus. And so he loves. Jesus, Jesus has that agape love. He, he definitely shows love. The next emotion we want to take a look at is how, through love and through the emotions of compassion, what, what, um, how, does he, how do we exhibit those emotions? So I wanted to look at how Jesus expressed through the emotion of crying. Jesus loved so much that he expressed himself through crying. And, you know, and I was like, well, I cry all the time, but I cried at some of the dumbest things. And then I realized, what, what is it that I'm crying about? What, what is it? What's the definition of crying? And it says, the overpowering emotion by shedding of tears. You know, I, I, I remember the first time this is... 30, 28, 30 years ago. How many of you ever remember, if you know this movie, you're going to be you're gonna be my new favorite person. It was called Something for Joey. Anybody ever hear of Something for Joey? It's about John Capoletti, Rams player. Yay, Rams are coming back. But that's not about what it's about. John Capoletti was, was a, a, a football player for the Rams, and his younger brother was, was sick. He had leukemia or he had some form of cancer. I don't remember the entire story. But, you know, I, I remember watching that. It was junior high, high school, somewhere in there, and, and just, like, just breaking down. And I'm like, I don't even know this. I know it was a true story. I know it is a true story. Um, but I just remember myself just going, man, for a brother to love his brother, because at that moment in time, I did not like my brother. But for a brother to love his brother, now I, I can say wholeheartedly and honestly, and, you know, my, my kids and my, my wife can attest to that, that I love my brothers. And you, the way you know I love my brothers, because if I'm not teasing them, then I'm not loving them. If I'm not joking with them and putting them down, those of you who know me, I love to tease. I love to joke um, at work. If somebody leaves their, their cell phone out, I'll take it and hide it. That's just the kind of person I am. I love to do that. Aaron's probably going, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I love to joke around. That is just the passion for me, emotion. I just love to be silly. And that's why I work with junior high, is because you can be silly and not be criticized for it. I love the fact of, of that he loved his brother so much. And the, and the whole story goes on is that, that he loved him. And so 
I remember crying uncontrollably, but I couldn't, I couldn't remember why. Or I, I remember it. I just don't, I couldn't understand why would I be crying at a movie? I'm just watching a movie. But it was the overpowering, of a, overpowering emotion that how much love a brother had uh, for, his, for his younger brother. And so let's take a look at two of the times that Jesus, Jesus showed expression by crying. And that, the first one is in Luke 19, verse 41. Luke 19, 41 and 42. And so Jesus is about to, to enter into the city. This is his triumphal entry. Everything's great. You know, they, they have the cult. He's coming in. They're singing praises. Everything is great. He, he is coming to hopefully do what he was supposed to do, which he eventually is dying on the cross. But he's coming in, and they're all singing praises. And then as, as he approaches the city of Jerusalem, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, if you even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. And I think, if you, even you, what was he saying? If you only knew, if you only knew that what was about to happen would bring you peace. I think he's crying overpoweringly because of the lost opportunities that these people didn't understand. He's coming in, his triumphal entry, and yet he realizes that there's a lost people, and they have no clue. They don't even understand. So I think he's crying over the lost opportunity for all those people, for you, for me. I think he was crying for all eternity. It wasn't just for those around him that were, were uh, about to uh, bring false accusation, to, bring, to defame him. I think he was crying for all humanity to say, man, if they only knew what they needed to know as I'm coming in for this, this last time that for the ultimate price of laying his life on the cross. And so I think that, that emotion of crying, I just can't imagine how he felt knowing that there's just going to be some people that just don't get it. They're just not going to get it. And then in John eleven thirty two, going back to the, the story of Lazarus, and this is where my emotion kind of took off in John 11, verse 32 through 36. You know, we know that Jesus loves Lazarus and his family. We know that he wasn't too far away. He could have been there in an instant and taken care of the problem. We know that that he doesn't. He allows Lazarus to, to die. And we pick up the story here where uh, Jesus is going to comfort the sisters. And he says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. 
And the longest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Yeah, that's why this is the, probably one of the most impactful, the most emotional verses that you could ever, ever read is Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loves him. So I just want to take a look at verse 35. Jesus actually acts on that emotion. In, in verse 35, it says he wept. He wept uh, uh, overpowering emotion by shedding of tears. The fact that his friend, the one that he loved, was dead. He was deeply moved. He was deeply moved to the point of, of crying. It says that, that he wept. So he acted on his emotion. And then verse 36, we read, when the Jews said, see how he loved him? If you read it, there's an exclamation there. It says, see how he loved them. There's evidence of his emotion. Jesus cr just cried for his friend. Don't know if it was his best friend, but he cried for a really close and dear friend. And it was evident. The people saw, whoa, the people saw his, the evidence of him, his emotion of crying by shedding tears. And they acknowledged it. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. So the question is, so how do we manage our emotions or grow in, in our walk with God? How, how do we do that? We kind of alluded to it earlier um, in the teaching, but kind of brings us back to full circle. You know, it's, it's so amazing when you sit in here and you're growing and you're learning. We, we talked about one of the ways how, to, how we manage and we grow in our walk with God just last week. Last week we looked at, th at Romans 12, 1 and 2. What it, let's turn back there, back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. And let's read it. We, we studied it. Pastor Robert did a great job breaking it down. I just want to read it. How do, we, how do we grow? It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the, the pattern of this world, but by the transforming of your mind, by the renewing, transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You know, I, it's, you know, I, I, I think that that's something that we need to be doing on a daily basis. Every day, you know, the Bible talks about getting up and putting on the uh, a full armor of God. It's like none of us would leave home without putting our clothes on. At least I hope so. But all of us would put our clothes on, put something on before we go. And the Bible is clear as day. It's the same analogy. We need to put on that, that, um, that full armor of God before we walk out because we are going to be tempted through our emotions every day, all day long. Probably the minute you hit your car when it doesn't start. There will be all kinds of emotions. How do we deal with it? You know, and just like we need to put on the full armor of God, we also need, it's just like brushing your teeth or taking a shower. Hopefully we take a shower every day. Um, junior high, I know you guys try not to, but it's okay. But we ought to take a shower every day. At least that's what my mom told me. And, and just like, just the same way, we every day we need to transform uh, and renew our minds so that we can be able to, deal with the emotions that we're going to face. It's no different. It's something that has to be done every day. Does it get done every day? No. Sometimes there isn't time for a shower. We don't have enough time. Is there time sometimes that 
we're running out of the house and we're wearing two different shoes. Well, it's happened to me, so I could say yes. But the, the, the fact of the matter is that we need to be putting on that full armor every day, renewing our minds every day in order to grow in our walk with God. And then, in, and then um, the last, the, well, I'm going to go straight to this last verse. I mean, I'm going to do something probably a little different. Izzy told me to um, do something controversial, so I will. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he said, he, 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 turn with me, and let's remember this. Even though uh, God was fully man, he was fully God himself as well. And so turn with me to Hebrews 4.14. Let, let's not forget this part about God. Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. And it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. So God felt, God, he felt the same things. He, he was tempted the same way, the same way, but the difference between us and him is that he was without blame. He was without sin. And so, you know, I just pray that, that as we act in our emotions, uh, that emotions are good, that we, that when we're, we're um, in a situation where we, we can get emotional, is that we would look back and say, how can we manage our emotions so that it is Christ-like, that what we demonstrate, somebody sees Christ in us versus, versus uh, there, who, who knows if he's a Christian or not. We're sure not acting like one. But the only way we could do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit, which he sent to us on our behalf. He promised us the Holy Spirit. And so without renewing our minds on a daily basis, almost like walking out without the without all of the tools that you need you know i tell my athletes you know if you don't bring the right equipment to practice how do you expect to get better how do you expect to to be the best athlete you could be you know you leave your shoes at home and you're running in boots that doesn't make any sense to me they still want to come to practice how do we get better and if we want to be better in our emotions in our life the only way to 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 manage that is by the renewing of our minds by allowing the holy spirit to take full effect of us like i said earlier my emotional state during worship is heightened 10 times when i allow the allow god to work through my emotions and so i just thank god every day don't get emotional for that person who showed me how how to do it without telling me just by their expression, they're doing it. I learned from that. And so, and you know, God, that's what God wants us to do, is to be expressive, to, to, to be, but in the right way. You know, um, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this time of, that we had to look at your emotions, Father, Help us this morning that we would walk out praising you, jumping, having joy in our heart, and not being ashamed of sharing our emotion, Father, whether it's here in church where sometimes it can be um, easy and allow, Father, but on the streets where nobody knows us, that we could shout your name, Father, that you would stir it up in our hearts, 
a passion for you, God, that wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, wherever we'll be, that you would see us. You know, I, I was watching something the other day, and, and it kind of hit home for me. And, and for me, I, I'm all about simple. Things need to be simple for me to understand them. And so I, w- I was, this isn't mine. I, I'm taking it from somebody else. This is, this is how I want you to, to think of this. Like if you need to close your eyes, if you need to get distractions out of your head, it's, it's really simple. I want you to think of one, worse, one word, and that's the word house. Just house. And how that house is like our relationship with Jesus. Do we have that relationship with Jesus that Lazarus had that, that he, uh, he cried out loud, uncontrollably? You know, I, when Pastor John taught on that verse, I, I, it hit a chord in me. Would he cry right now where I'm at in my spiritual walk? Would he have that same emotion for me? So I ask you, where are you at? What does your house look like? Because Jesus, you know, he's on the outside. Jesus is on the outside. And, and you know, the, the thing is, he sees something inside there that he really wants to get to. He really wants what's inside. But you know, he's not going to force his way in. He's not going to come barreling the, the door down. But he really, really wants to come in. You know, he wants you to invite him in. You know, some of us are okay with him being outside because, you know, we can open the door, see him outside, ask him for something, and then close the door when it's convenient and keep going on our way and not have to worry about anything. But you know what? I think the main reason why we don't let him in because we want our house to be clean. We want the inside of our house to be nice and neat, the books on the bookshelf, the clothes picked up, everything put away before we let them in. But you know what? What we're not looking at when we look out that window and we see him, that he's standing outside there with a bucket and a pail, an apron, waiting for you to invite him in so he can just clean it up. He wants to go in and clean it up, but we need to invite him in. Because you know what? He's the only one who can clean our house. He is the only person that has that ability to walk right in there and clean it up. We just don't want to let him in for whatever reason. And then, you know what? There are some of you who have had him in. He's been living there, and he's, he's been hanging out, and you've been having a good time. And, you know, you went from one house to another. It got bigger. You put more things in there, and it was just beautiful inside. And then for some reason, you decided to evict him. I don't need it anymore. There's no more room in this house. I have everything I need. It's time for you to go. Or you could be that person that said, you know what? I'm going to save this one room for you. You could come in. You'll still be part of my life. But the rest of the house is filthy. You know? And we often put, the, often if we're in that place, we often put that part of the house, that room, by the front door so that everybody who walks past, they open the door, they see, they look in, and they say, wow, what a nice house. What a great place. But yet the rest of the house is 
filthy, distracted for some reason or another. The rest of the house is a mess. And so, right now, just I'm not sure where you're at in your life or what, what spot you are in, what your house looks like, whether you, you've never let him in or he's there, but you really can't find him because he's lost in the corner. Wherever you're at, what I'd like for you to do is, is just all of us to close our eyes if we're not closing our eyes and, and meditating or thinking right now. Just reflect on exactly where you're at. And just like the metaphor of opening a door, just I, I really can't see from here to there. So just like the metaphor, no one's looking around, no one's watching, no one can see you. Take that hand, raise it, twist the doorknob, and pull it open and let him in. If, if you are one of those people that for the first time is, is really searching and wanting to open the door, that emotion of what he did for you on the cross, he wants to come in. All we have to do is take our hand out, twist the handle, and open the door. Those of us who have not really known where he's at, and we're really looking for him, and maybe he's in the backyard, maybe he's in the side yard, wherever he's at. Do the same. Open the door. Raise your hand up and open the door. No, I don't know if if today you had the opportunity to open the door or not. Only God knows where you're at. Some of you may have wanted to open the door and just said, no, not today. My emotions are not there yet. I really need to find out more. You know, I... I get it. I understand. But if you were a person that said, you know what? I need to open that door. And it was for the first time. I'm telling you. Whatever we say or do here in this room in the next few minutes is nothing compared to what's happening in heaven right now. I can see, in my mind, I I vision things and I see things and I, I just... Know those loved ones that have gone on before you or who know you, and if you are just like high fiving Jesus right now, all of them, they're just doing, they're just jumping and and anything more uncontrollable than what we could ever think of right now. And so, if that was you, just I'd like for you to come up. We could sit over here, talk, and pray because there's nothing more. People will probably be excited and happy and, and clap, but that's nothing like what's going on in heaven right now. So, if you, if any of you here, Rededicated or reopen the door to Jesus. There is just so much happiness and so much praise that's going on right now that no words can express what have happened. So if you were able to experience that today, I'm just going to be over here as we continue in worship, as, we, as Izzy leads us out. I'd love to pray with you and, and be excited with you, just as those who are were before you up there in heaven, just rejoicing right now. So oh, you, those of you who did, you know. And those of you who are not, not um, wanting to express that now, want to do it later, see one of the elders. See myself, I'm, I'm here. Um, I'd love to have the opportunity to, to rejoice in that, that new house that you've just, just opened up. I, can, I, the, I can't imagine 
any greater housewarming gift than Jesus being inside. Go ahead, continue worship.